Good morning. My name is Dan Leitinen. I'm the campus pastor here at Holy Word Austin. I just want to say thank you for being here today for Back to Church Sunday. And uh, whether it's your first time or you're returning or you're a regular attender, it's good for us to be together and worship as a community. Uh, The text for the sermon today is from Matthew chapter 16. If you want to, you can follow along in your Bible or your Bible app. It'll also be up on the screens. It's on page 8 and page 9 in the service folder if you want to take notes, if that's the way that you learn, if that's the way that you follow along. Um, that option is available for you there, too, in the service folder. The story goes, a Sunday school teacher is observing her classroom. She's walking around as the children are coloring, and she goes up to a little girl, and she says to that little girl, What are you drawing? The girl says, I'm drawing God. The teacher says, But dear, you know that no one knows what God looks like, right? To which the little girl, without missing a beat, looking down at her sheet, says, they will in a minute. (laughs) A cute story, but it drives home a a, a point that is true of all of us. Um, On our own, we all have our own drawings and impressions of God on our own. And the same is true for that person who lived 2,000 years ago named Jesus of Nazareth who claimed to be God. In fact, if you ask Americans today who Jesus was, have you ever done that before? Have you heard the potpourri, the cafeteria ideas about who Jesus is? According to a study um, by the Barna Group in 2015, that question was asked, who is Jesus to Americans? And about well, over 50% said of adults said that he was the son of God. Their overwhelming agreement that he was a historical figure, um, about 25% say that he, he, of adults say that he was a religious figure like Muhammad or like Buddha. But it's interesting because as the generations get younger today, less and less people believe that he is the son of God. In fact, millennials come in at about under 50%. They're the group that believe that Jesus is not the Son of God, up to 48% say that uh, he is, uh, 52% say that he is not. I bring this up today because Jesus once asked his disciples, his followers, in real time when he lived, he says, who do people say that I am? He was taking a poll of what people then, in that time, thought about who Jesus was. He asked them, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And Jesus' follower, Peter, the spokesman for the group who often spoke up, he says, well, Jesus, some people say that you are a reincarnation of John the Baptist, who was a contemporary of Jesus, who had just passed away, and he was a powerful prophet. And some people said, well, this is the reincarnation. He's just come back. Some people says this is an, a, a recreation of, of Jeremiah, another great prophet, or of, of, of Elijah. And then other people say, Peter said, that you are the prophet, that you are the capital P prophet, this this, this huge figure that would come into the world and usher in this, this time of prosperity and peace and give insight. And then Jesus asked, but who do you say that I am? Now that's a good question. Because we can talk all day about what Barnath says people say and what the people in Jesus' day said that Jesus was, but who do you think Jesus is? This is a foundational question for Back to Church Sunday, and I'll tell you why. 
because of my shingling experience. I was uh, working through college and through seminary, and the breadwinner job that I had, although I had other jobs on the side, was roofing. And um, one of the first times, I remember it in Mankato, Minnesota, I got promoted from the trash crew on the ground, you know, with cleaning up the tarps and everything. I got promoted to the roof, and then I got promoted to the roof to, to holding a nail gun, and, and I got to do a couple nails on top of the roof, and woohoo! I was having fun up there, and I was made, working my way up, literally, figuratively, the ladder. And uh, I remember Justin, my foreman, telling me on my first roof, he gave me the backside because he knew this was going to be a disaster. He says, start here and start laying the rows and go up just like I showed you on the ground. Okay, I I got all nervous. I got to the edge of the roof and I started, and I was so nervous about not falling off the the edge of that that roof that I had gone two or three, four rows in about two hours. (laughs) And finally, Justin came back, and he looked at my work, and he says, lightning. He called me lightning. It was kind of one of those sarcastic terms because I was so slow. He says, lightning, take a look at your work. And I stepped back, and that roof was as wavy as the sea. I mean, there's, I, mean I got sick to my stomach just looking at it because the, it was so off. The shingles were here. The shingles were there. I was so nervous about falling off the roof that what had I done? I hadn't lined up the first row. The first row is so important to get straight. I'm doing uh, some flooring in my house, and you can tell, ask my wife. It's going so slow because I'm measuring every row. I'm measuring to make sure it's straight. You can't mess up the first row because if you mess up the first row, everything's going to be topsy-turvy. And the same is true for your church and the church that you're looking for or the church that you're in. If we get Jesus wrong, then who knows why we're getting together? Then who knows what his church is really about and what he, what, what he says his body is all about you and me and so jesus is asking the question because there's so many different ideas about jesus out there in churches and in in the world and in our own personal idea there's the republican jesus who is um uh, who is for family values and gun ownership and who is uh and, and then there's the democratic jesus who is who is against wall street and walmart and for reducing our carbon footprint and printing money then there's the boyfriend jesus that puts his arms around us as we sing about his intoxicating love and there's um there's the guru jesus who's wise and inspirational and teaches us to find our center there's the good example jesus who teaches you how to live a better life and how to make this planet a better place There's gentle Jesus. I know this one well growing up. He's meek. He's mild. He has high cheekbones, long flowing hair. He wears a sash and walks barefoot. He's European and he speaks German. This is a shock to this Lutheran congregation who have only known that Jesus. There's the martyr Jesus who hangs in a cross in front of church so that we can feel sad and guilty all the time. There's open-minded Jesus the Jesus that says, I accept and I approve every life decision that you ever make, except for those people that aren't as, aren't as open-minded as me. There's platitude Jesus who looks good on Christmas cards and Christmas specials and terrible sermons about believing in yourself. There's spirituality Jesus that's against organized religion and the church and pastors and priests and doctrine and is for finding yourself in nature while listening to spiritually ambiguous music. There's Starbucks Jesus that loves fair trade coffee and 
going to film festivals and driving hybrids and talking about spirituality. And then there's Touchdown Jesus, who's really popular on Sundays. He makes athletes run faster and jump higher, and he determines the outcome of the Super Bowl. There's Yuppie Jesus, who, who says, go and shoot for, 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 for the stars and buy a boat, and everything's going to be okay. Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gate of Hades will not overcome it. The first thing that we learn from this interchange between Peter and Jesus is that Jesus says this to Peter's response, you are the Messiah. He says that the real Jesus is revealed by God. Verse 17. Did you catch that? It's not my idea versus your idea, but it actually happened in real time. You have to get to know, you have to spend time with somebody to get to know them. And this is Peter now and the followers who have spent time with Jesus for a, for, for, for a few years. This is at the end of his earthly ministry that we're talking here. And I'll tell you, it took years for my wife to get to know me. Even after we were married, she learned other things about me. After five years of dating and then getting married, she finally learned that she says that I have a doll collection that she found in a box. The 92 Olympic Dream Team and other sports figures. They're sports figurines. They're not a doll collection. Sports figurines doesn't really help my cause, okay? But anyways, what I'm saying is it takes time to get to know somebody. And when, G- when Peter went and he saw the miracles that Jesus did, turning water into wine, he didn't think this is just some guru that's come into the world to give inspiration. And when he saw Jesus walking on the water and Peter went off onto the water and started walking, he didn't think this is platitude Jesus that makes me feel good at Christmas. When you spend time with somebody, like Peter spends time with Jesus, God reveals to him who Jesus really is. And Peter says, number two, you are the chosen one. The word was used in Peter's time and Peter's culture among the Jewish people, the Messiah, which means the chosen one or the Christ, chosen for work. And we're going to get into what that work is all about because it's so important for our churches and for our personal lives of what that work is. And so he says, you are the Messiah. And Jesus says, you're right. That's revealed to you by God. And is built to last. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, everything that you just said about me, that I'm the chosen one, I'm the one that's going to do the work, I'm the one sent by God, that's right. And the work that I'm about to do, not even the gates of hell, not even the worst attack, is going to overcome the work that I do as the foundation of the church. That message, Peter, that you said, that's the foundation of the church. That's the first row. That's what we're all about when we come back to church. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Here's the work, the foundation, the first row about what Jesus, the real Jesus, is all about. He says, I am on a must mission. And the word in the Greek is an obligation that he has put himself under. And his obligation is this. 
pain, suffering, death, and resurrection. Peter hears this, and he's had his own idea, right, about who the Messiah is, what the work that the Messiah has come to do, and, and Peter hears pain, suffering, sorrow, death, persecution, ouch! And what does he say? Peter took him aside. He's grabbing Jesus, and the, the term that's used here in the second, and began to rebuke him, is the word that um, is used like when a parent says to a child, wash out your mouth with soap, you just used dirty language. This is embarrassing, but Peter's taking Jesus aside and saying, you're using dirty language when you're talking about pain and suffering. He takes Jesus aside, and he rebukes him. And he says, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. What's the disconnect? Peter has in his mind a different Messiah, a different Jesus, not the real Jesus, but the Jesus that he wants Jesus to be. You see, the Messiah to Jesus was this Messiah, like many Jews were looking forward to, who came to, to, to break them free of their oppression. At this time, they lived underneath the Roman rule, and perhaps Peter is thinking in his head that there's going to come this day that Jesus, who's gaining popularity at this time, is going to call out, and all the Jews are going to drop their plows and pick up their pitchforks and march to Jerusalem and overthrow the Roman government and bring peace and prosperity and bring the throne of David back into Israel. And maybe there would be 12 little thrones around Jesus, one of them just for Peter. But pain and suffering? A cross? If your master goes down that road, you know that you're headed down that road as well to Jerusalem. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. What Jesus is saying is this, Peter, the real problem in your life isn't the Romans ruling over the Jews, but sin ruling over your life. And the concern of God is this, that he cares for you so much, and he could set you free from the rule of the Romans, but is that really, is that really what's going to make you happy when sin is destroying you through and through? When sin rules over our lives and nearly one in two marriages in America are broken because there's two sinners in a relationship that can't work it out. Is it really the Romans ruling over the Jews? Or is it really the selfishness inside of me, the Pharisee inside of me that puts myself up way high on a pedestal while putting you way low, looking down at you and saying, I'm much, so much better than you? Is it, really, is it really the Romans ruling over the Jews that causes racial and ideological divides among us in our nation? Or is it personal sin when we look inside of each and one of us? It's sin that drives the attic. And what Jesus is saying is that I came for that attic, and I came for that ra racial divide, and I came for that sinner, and I came for that broken marriage, and I come for that, and this is God's plan for this, that Jesus must, he put himself under obligation for you. Not because you went and said, God, you come down here, you must come down and, and, and take care of my sin, but he says this, that he so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. 
that he put himself under that obligation, that he says it's going to be painful, it's going to hurt, it's going to take my dedication to you. But he went to Jerusalem. He went and he was arrested. He allowed himself to be put under trial and he put himself on that cross. Not so that you can feel guilty and sad all the time, but so that you, as Jesus says, as the Bible says, are now forgiven forever for free. That's completely a gift by grace. And that's completely a must mission that Jesus was on for you and for the sins of the whole world. That's the real Jesus. You are Jesus' real concern. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must, there it is again, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? What he's saying is that the real Jesus went on a must mission for you and he gave you something, a new life, that you can never earn yourself. And he wants you to stay lost in his love, that forgiving love. And it's going to hurt sometimes because we have this natural inclination and we all have temptations that we're going to have to say no to for our whole life. And, and it's going to hurt sometimes because we could easily at work hide and, and take the cross down off of our desk or, or, or hide our faith because it could be easier to get job promotions. But he's saying, no, when you do that, you're taking off of your desk you're taking, you're taking off of your desk the very thing that I did to give you life forever. And when it hurts, and when the persecutions come, or, or when it's difficult to do this life together, he's saying this, you've lost yourself. And that pain doesn't become a pain that, 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 that just hurts and that you're going to feel sorry for, but it's a pain that you enjoy like an athlete that's training for the Olympics, and that athlete knows this is totally worth it. The pain today the ice baths after practice, all of that is done because there's victory in mind. But here's, but here's the truth. The victory is yours already. In C.S. Lewis' book, um, the, the, the Voyage of the Dawn Trader, there's Eustace, and this young boy has, is turned into a uh, dragon. And to, to become a boy again, he has to rip off all of the scales. I don't know if you've read this story before, but he rips off all of these scales, and it hurts but behind and underneath all of those scales is the real him again. Jesus is saying, I've given you your real self. I'm going to work in you. And that's why, and Peter may have forgotten this, at the end of, we, I must, the Son of Man must, the Son of Man must, he must be raised to life. Jesus is alive today, and he gave his church, his followers, the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And that Holy Spirit works within each and every one of us as what we call a church to help each other tear off the scales, to encourage each other in the faith because the walk is not easy and we have every nation, every age, every problem under the sun in our churches and we are working together because he has made us to be forgiven. And so that's what you'll hear from the pulpit to the pew to the piano to the organ and all the music in between. You're going to hear at Holy Word about your Savior that died for you, that loves you regardless of where you came from. 
And regardless of where you're going, he's going to be there by your side. That's why we at Holy Word have connect groups. Places, coffee shops, homes, conference rooms, at church, you name it. Places where people come together to encourage each other. To say, Jesus lives in your life and he lives in my life because the Bible says where one or where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Are you starting to see the real Jesus? The real Jesus who works through a church, an organization that is all about him. And on that rock, he builds gifts of the church people that use their spiritual gifts, people that use their money, people that use their abilities, people that use their time, a place that reaches out to the local community and a place that reaches out to their neighbor. I was out on the streets yesterday and one of the people at the door says, I think the purpose of the church is to help. Did you know that the church was the first place to take care of orphans and widows? And that the church in history was one of the first places to make a hospital and is one of the first places that, that, was a, that, that was an aid and relief to people that were in need, and that it was the church in America and many, many institutions that said that learning and, and, and science and the arts are all interesting things and started universities. Do you know that the church did all of that? But do you know that the church, first and foremost, is a place where you find your Savior, the real Jesus, and out of that love comes all of these diverse gifts that we have. The little girl came up to her Sunday school teacher at the end of class, and she shows her her picture. She had used every crayon in the box. The picture included a zillion people, and at the center was a heart and a cross. Are you starting to see what God is all about? He gives you a place to belong. And although nobody's ever seen him, he says, I'm coming to you, and I'm giving my life for you. You do see me. You see him right here in his word, right here among his people. So welcome back. Amen.